Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The next chapter is uh, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Tiff. Uh, Just pray with me for a moment. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you so much for this season where we get to celebrate and remember the fact that you sent your son for us. I pray that this would be a morning of of peace and of feeling your love and of knowing that you care for us. Amen. So, hi everybody. Good morning, thanks for being here today. Um, So our theme for Advent this year has been hospitality, right? If you've been here for the past couple weeks, we've been talking a lot about this theme of the table and what hospitality means to us as Christians. And today I kinda wanna talk about a facet of hospitality that I think maybe we don't talk about enough, Um, and that's the idea of telling and hearing stories. 
So a couple of years ago, um, I was talking to a friend of mine. I think it was like the, during the week before Easter, and she was someone who wasn't raised in any particular religious tradition, and we were just talking about weekend plans, and she was like, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, oh, yeah, going to church for Easter. And she was like, oh, yeah, what's the whole point of Easter? And I started to respond, and all of a sudden I went, oh, no. And I realized I had no idea how to explain it. Like, I'd been going to church my entire life, and, like, I couldn't give her a basic explanation of what Easter was or, like, what the whole point was or why we celebrated it. I think I wound up, like, Googling Missio Day and just seeing what they said on their website about the gospel and just, like, repeated that. And it was kind of embarrassing because it's, like, this is something that's so central to who I am and this is something that, like, I've been doing my entire life and I realized I had no idea how to articulate it and why it was important. And I tell this story because, as Christians, it's important that we're able to tell our stories we're called to bear witness to the work of God in our lives. And we need to make sure that we're remembering that work so we can share it with other people. The other thing I want to talk about in terms of this work of hospitality is this willingness to listen to the story of others. Have you ever had a story like totally change your perceptions of someone? We make a lot of assumptions about people, right? Um, but then when you have a chance to actually hear their story, it can totally change what you think of them. Are you guys familiar with Guy Fieri from the Food Network? Yeah. So like the first time I see him, right, he like wears sunglasses on the back of his head. And he's like, I'm the mayor of Flavortown. I was just like, oh, this guy. But then like I started hearing all these stories about him and apparently he's like the nicest guy who works at Food Network. He remembers everybody's birthdays. He's like totally chill and down to earth with the people's restaurants he visits. And he's apparently just like a really great person. And hearing all these stories about him totally changed my perception. It's like, okay, you can be mayor of Flavortown, whatever. I don't care. But, I think Christian hospitality calls us to this. It calls us to the caring for the physical needs of the people around us, but also the emotional needs. And one way we can do that is a willingness to really listen to people. So I mean, to be honest, hospitality, the idea of welcoming people into my home is really scary for me. Um, I'm not a great decorator. Like, my home isn't super cute. Uh, not really a fan of cleaning, to be honest. Um, kind of boring, but hospitality in the Christian life is so much more than just inviting people to our homes, even though I do believe that's part of it. It's an openness, a willingness to hear other people's stories in an effort to really get to know them. It's a willingness to hear another person's story even when we think we already know that story. And in turn, this practice of remembrance, of remembering the work of God in our lives, it enables us to tell our own stories so that as we get to know people, we have a chance to share the work of God. Brian talked about the importance of being both a host and a guest, and I think that it's really important that as we invite others to share their lives with us, we're willing to share our lives with them. Telling our stories allows us to embrace the messiness of hospitality in life, and paying attention to the work of God in our lives, this activity of remembrance allows us to tell our stories in a way that authentically communicates the work of God. We have to remember who we are so we can tell that story. So first of all, I want to talk about this idea of remembrance or memory, especially as it relates to the first passage of the Last Supper. So we go back to Luke 22, verses 19 to 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Think about it. This is one of the only rituals that Jesus sets up for us, right? Like, there are not a lot of things that he requires us to do. And one of the only rituals he actually sets up for us to, to do repeatedly is to eat together. 
is to connect hospitality and remembrance. Sarah Miles said, our whole religion is rooted in the dinner table. And I love that idea. I mean, Acts 2.42 is a verse that's central to us at Missio Dei. It says, they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's like the entirety of Christian life, right? Jesus set out this ritual so we would remember his death and resurrection. Daryl Bach says this, the importance of celebration and remembrance, even of table fellowship in the church, is often underestimated, especially in traditions where the word is paramount and liturgy is de-emphasized. The disciples as a community are about to share a meal whose roots are centuries old. They gather together to reflect on what God has done and is about to do. And the meal that Jesus was eating at the Last Supper was Passover, right? This was a meal that was already deeply significant to the people celebrating it. As Jewish people, they would have eaten this meal every year to remember how God brought them out of Egypt. This was the moment where he set them apart as a nation for himself. It was a marker of their identity. And then Jesus transforms it into a meal of remembrance for Christians. As we eat together and drink together, we proclaim this event that helps define who we are. John Calvin says the sacrament was not ordained to be received only once a year and that too perfunctorily, as now is the usual custom. Rather, it was ordained to be frequently used among all Christians in order that they might frequently return in memory to the Christ passion by such remembrance to sustain and strengthen their faith and urge themselves to sing thanksgiving to God and proclaim his goodness. I love that word perfunctory, it's one of my favorites. It's, like, it's so good, it just means like hasty or superficial or performed as part of a routine. And I think, you know, the fact that we do communion as a routine, the fact that we do it every week, it does make it easy to forget the significance. But it's so amazing that we practice it every week because it's a chance to remember again and again the central aspect of our faith, Jesus' death and resurrection. I think remembrance and hospitality go together. As we share our table, as we share this communion table, we're able to recall the work of God in our lives and we're able to go out and share that with others. Christine Pohl um, has this amazing book called um, Making Room. It's about hospitality in the Christian tradition. I highly recommend it. Um, and she says this, in the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus fills the basic elements of a meal with richest symbolic meaning. Eating together, ritualized in the Lord's Supper, continually reenacts the center of the gospel. As we remember the cost of our welcome, Christ's broken body and shed blood, we also celebrate the reconciliation and relationship available to us because of his sacrifice and through his hospitality. The Eucharist most fundamentally connects hospitality with God because it anticipates and reveals the heavenly table of the Lord. When we show hospitality to others or accept hospitality for ourselves, we're reminded of who we are in Christ. We're reminded of his table. And I want to take a minute here. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but I promise it's connected, so stick with me. Um, Food is a big part of hospitality, right? So often when we think of hospitality, we think of having people over for dinner or, or feeding them or something. And I want to acknowledge that, um, you know, as Americans, food can be tricky. Food can be a tricky thing for us to think about and talk about. Um, it, comes up, it comes with so much baggage around cult culture, around body image, around, you know, what food we think is good or bad. Um, and I think as Christians, a lot of times we can kind of compartmentalize how we think about food versus how we think about our faith. And I hope we can begin to kind of combine them together. January is coming, and you're about to get a lot of messages about, you know, eating clean or 
good food or bad food or getting back on track or whatever, however you want to address it. But <laughs> yeah, exciting, right? Um, but what if we celebrated communion and as a result we were able to celebrate our relationship with food? Look how many meal scenes are in the Bible, right? Jesus not only turned water into wine, but he turned it into good wine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. God cares about you, and he cares about your body, and he cares about your nourishment. And he cares about how you feel about food. So I want you to stop and think for a minute about your memories around food. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they both? I have some really wonderful memories around food. When I was in college, I, um, so I went to college in Canada in the middle of this in the middle of nowhere in this tiny town, and I went to an Anglican church. And it was like, you know, 20 students and a couple of professors and some elderly Canadians who were just as nice as they sound. Um, but every Sunday, they would invite us downstairs after the service for coffee and toast. And it's like, toast sounds kind of boring initially, right? But it was brilliant. First of all, you're college students, so you don't care. It's free food, and like you're hungry all the time anyway. So, But it was just, like it was homemade bread, and the butter was like half an inch thick, and um, we love butter in this church, so. And it was delicious, and it was wonderful, and it was this time of real fellowship. Like, we got to sit around these tables. They weren't usually divided by, like, age or anything. You just, everybody sat with everybody, and we drank coffee, and we ate toast and talked about whatever. And it was just such a warm, beautiful, like, nourishing time. And I've never been able to recreate the taste of that toast since. I have some bad memories around food, too. Um, when I was in graduate school, there was this one project that we were working on for the entire year. And uh, the day the project was due, the administrators for our program said, oh, we'll have a party. So you'll turn in your project and then come and have some food and like, just, just relax a little bit, right? Um, so it was a very stressful day for me. I'm kind of like a last minute person. So of course, I'd procrastinate a bit. So I get the project turned in. I get to the party. And there's no food left. I think there were like six pieces of iceberg lettuce in a bowl somewhere. <laughs> and I had like picked up a plate so I could get some of this delicious food I've been promised and slammed it down and walked out of the room crying. And I got food later, so it's fine. But um, food can be deeply painful. It can be really wonderful or it can be really sad. But what if we allowed a practice like communion to reshape our narratives around food? Um, I've been reading this book about um, medieval religious women and their relationship to food. And it's more interesting than it sounds, I promise. But um, they talk about how, so in the medieval church, there's a doctrine called transubstantiation, right? Which is the belief that um, once the priest prays over the bread and the wine, it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. And so for many people, communion was the moment when they, when they could get really close to Jesus. It was the closest they could possibly get to the Lord. So there are stories of people like racing from church to church so they can see communion at each church. Like not even necessarily take it, but just like see it happen. Can you imagine people like running in the back here and being like, have you guys taken communion yet? No, awesome, okay, here we go. Like I would love to see that excitement around communion, you know? Lauren Winner in one of her books talks about how women who have struggled with eating disorders have been known to refuse to have communion because they're worried about the calories. She says she can't imagine Jesus would have, would have pictured that, but then maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he sees it now, looking down from heaven with sorrow and understanding. Maybe one of the invitations he was making at the Last Supper was an invitation to anxious middle-class women two millennia in the future. The invitation to let his bread and his wine and his Eucharist reshape the way we hold and eat and sip and feel about all bread and wine.
So as we think about food in the season, I hope that it can begin to, to be a sign of God's provision for you, a sign of his nourishment for you. So Jesus established communion so we would remember. Why? Why is this so important for us? I believe remembrance enables us to hear and tell our stories. It enables us to bear witness to the work of God in our lives and to offer a narrative of redemption. So one of the things I love as you read through Luke is you see so many stories of individuals, right? Um, there's lots of stories of Jesus ministering to crowds, but you have stories of like, specific people, like the little girl that he brought back to life, or Mary and Martha, who we love to talk about. Jesus is deeply concerned with individuals, and it's those individual stories that are often so powerful. And hospitality enables storytelling. Storytelling is essential for us as Christians because it allows us to know people well, to really see them, and to bear witness to the work of God in our own lives. So let's look at this passage where Jesus meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I want to read again um, verses 19 to 21. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. So these two disciples who were walking down the road, um, as Jewish people, they would have been expecting a Messiah, right? But they would have been expecting a Messiah who looked different than Jesus. They probably would have been expecting a great military leader who could throw out the Romans and establish a, a physical kingdom. So the story that they believed after this weekend was a sad story. It was a story of tragedy. It was a story of someone they thought was going to save them, but it had ultimately failed. But then look what happens. Jesus tells the story differently. Verses 25 to 27 say, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I love that moment. Jesus redeems the story. He takes it from being a sad, sad story to a happy story of triumph and victory. But I also love that the disciples don't recognize him as he's lecturing them, right? They recognize him as they all sit down to dinner together. N.T. Wright says this, Luke's first audience would have heard him bring together the exposition of scripture and the breaking of bread, the word and the sacrament, the story and the symbol as the central normative daily marks of the church's life. The heart is warm, says Luke, when the scripture is expounded so as to bring out the true story and the Lord is known in the breaking of the bread. The two belong together, interpreting each other and together pointing to the new world, the new vocation, the kingdom of God. Hospitality and storytelling go together. You can't tell your story or hear others unless you're holding space for people to do that. And the stories we tell about ourselves and the stories others tell about us help shape our identity and our perceptions, right? I've been hearing from a lot of women recently who are, who've been diagnosed with ADHD as adults. And so for whatever reason, um, Apparently, it manifests very differently in, in little boys and little girls, and so it gets caught much earlier in boys, and girls grow up without realizing that they have it. And so for so many of these women, the story that they grew up with, the narrative that they understood about themselves was a narrative where they just weren't trying hard enough, they just couldn't get their act together, they just didn't work hard enough. And it was a sad narrative and a tragic one. 
But as they got older and they discovered that they had an actual disorder that they were struggling against, the story changed. It became a narrative of them struggling against a disease they didn't know they had, and not a story about them just like not trying hard enough. I think stories also help us get to know people in a way that just like basic introductions don't. Um, so when I was in grad school, that big project I talked about was on American funerals, which is an amazing way to introduce yourself at parties, let me tell you. Um, people look at you weird, understandably, but um, you wind up hearing so many stories when you, when you tell them you're thinking about funerals and studying funerals. My advisor said something really interesting. She said that um, like what you do with death says so much about what you value in life. And as I heard stories from people of the funerals that they'd been to, it taught me so much about them, about the things that they found joyful in a memorial service, or the things that they found tragic and horrifying. The things people valued, they communicated so well through the stories that they told me about these funerals. As Christians, it's our job to hear stories and to tell stories. Hospitality enables us to do that. When we welcome people to walk along the road with us or stop for dinner with us, we give them that space to tell their stories. We hold space for them to be known, and we show them that their story matters. Um, years ago, I think the summer after my freshman year of college, I signed up to be a camp counselor at church camp for a week. And I probably wasn't really ready to do that. Um, because I remember this one evening, and one of the high schoolers who was, who was one of my campers was having kind of a tough time. And I sat down to talk with her for a little bit, and she wasn't really you know, saying what was going on. So I was like, OK, why don't we pray the sinner's prayer together? That'll make you feel better. So we prayed together, and I was like, do you feel better? And she was like, no, I don't. Oh, great. OK, so we called another counselor over, a guy who was slightly older and a little more mature than I was. Um, and he sat and listened. He sat, and he asked her questions, and he let her tell her story. And he was able to draw out of her kind of what was going on and the things she was struggling with. And instead of being in a rush to get something done, to pray with her, whatever, he let her talk, and he heard her story. And I know that was so much more meaningful, meaningful to her than me just like jumping in. Stanley Harawas says this, the ethical task of the church is to be the kind of community that tells and tells rightly the story of Jesus. And as Christians, we're called to tell that story and to hold space for others to tell their stories. This one's a little bit hard for me um, because my stories are pretty boring, actually. So like I've never been miraculously saved from a burning building or like pushed back from the edge of a cliff. And, you know, growing up in like youth group and stuff, that was always kind of hard for me because you hear all these amazing dramatic conversion narratives and you're just like, oh man, I got nothing. I had nothing to say to that. But if I look back on my life, I have dozens of stories of God's faithfulness to me. And from the outside, they don't look like much, but they mean the world to me. A few weeks ago, um, I came to prayer and worship night. I sat in the back and cried the entire time. It was amazing. <laughs> I didn't really want to come. I was in a bad mood. I hadn't put makeup on that day, but Brett was like, you know, you should, you should really go. Um, and it was amazing. It was such an encouragement. And like several people came and prayed for me. And they prayed in ways that were like so specific and so exactly what I needed to hear that it was just like, okay, I guess God was speaking to me in that moment. And from the outside, it's not much of a story, but it's such a sign of God's faithfulness in my life. You're not called to be an amazing storyteller. I'm not. Um, I tend to start my stories with like eight years of context that are totally unnecessary. <laughs> or I just like leave out the middle and people are like, what, what was the point of that? But we're called to bear witness to the work of God in our lives. 
And we're called to the hospitality of listening, the hospitality of enabling people to tell their own stories so we can know who they are. As we approach this holiday season, I hope we can hear stories from people who are different than us, from our immigrant neighbors, from our politically conservative relatives. And I hope, I hope we're the kind of people that can welcome those stories. And I also want to say this, your story matters. No matter what you think of it, whether it's boring or terrible, whatever your story is, it matters. And we can offer the hospitality of showing others that their story matters. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this season, for the season of remembrance of your, your gift to us, of your son. I thank you so much for your great love for us. And I pray that as we, as we finish out this Advent season, that we would know that love.